Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Uh, I want to start a little different this morning. I actually want to start with a video. And so um, I won't give it any introduction. Here it is. I will sing of your love on Sundays. Only sing of your love on Sundays. I will sing of your love on Sundays. Then this feeling is gone.
them shut up, all right? So usually I'd like to just describe videos, but there's no way of describing that video. Uh, I don't know about you, but that is both funny to watch and extremely painful to watch uh, because it is oh so true. Uh, the, the title of that movie is, let me get it right, Wrong Worship. And it's painful to watch because I can resonate with so many things within there in terms of coming to church on Sunday morning. It's funny, at the first service, our computer decided to do a uh, system reboot in the middle of the worship service, which was just extremely timely when we're talking about worship. But I know there are many times I come to church on Sunday morning and I am not focused on God, who is to be the focus of my worship, but I am focused on, is everything going right? Is everything going smooth? Is, are these the songs that I like? I'm focused on, what am I doing this afternoon? What am I doing this week? Focus on my hairdo, never on my nails. I can't relate to her on that. But, but I'm so distracted so often in my worship. So often my worship is superficial and unfocused on the one it is supposed to be focused on. And I'm the pastor. Wrong worship is epidemic because worship is about the heart. In today's passage, we will have a picture of true worship of unhindered, pure, right worship. Worship that Jesus praises and puts before us all as an example of true worship. So if you would, please open up to Mark chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, that is for you to keep. And we are page 850 in the red Bible. Go ahead and pick one of those up. We're just gonna kind of jump right in here. Um, and start reading. And so Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, page 850 in the Red Bible. Mark 14, 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table... A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Let's pray. Lord God, we come today confessing that often our hearts are not in the place they should be when we come to church. We are distracted by other things instead of focused on you. And so God, pray through the power of your Holy Spirit because we need help. 
that you would focus our hearts and our affections and our minds upon you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get to the heart of the passage, I want to start by just looking at verses 1 and 2. And so if you would look there with me, uh, in verse 1 it says, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is telling us that it is Wednesday of Holy Week or Passion Week. And it's also reminding us that it is the final countdown. The time is approaching where Jesus is going to die upon the cross. And it says, And the chief priests and the scribes, who are the religious leaders, were seeking how to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. There are many religious leaders of the day, not all of them, but many of the religious leaders hated Jesus. And the reason why they hated Jesus is because Jesus was so loved by so many people. He was so popular. So many of the people who were following the religious leaders had now left to go and follow Jesus. And they were jealous of his popularity. They were jealous uh, that they no longer had control over these people. And because of that, they loathed Jesus. They hated Jesus. And they wanted to secretly capture him and put him to death. And verse 2 tells us why. It says, For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Uh, The feast of Passover was the biggest feast in the Jewish calendar, and people would come from all over the Middle East to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And it would swell from about, Jerusalem would swell from about 25,000 people to about 150,000. So it would be more than six times its normal size during Passover. And they knew that there would be people there from Galilee, which was kind of Jesus's home territory for ministry. And there were many people who loved Jesus and followed Jesus. And so they knew that if they went and publicly arrested Jesus, there would be a riot so great that no one could control. And so they had to do this by stealth. Again, you see, Jesus is a polarizing figure. He always has been. He always will be till he returns. People either loved him or they loathed him. The religious leaders loathed Jesus. But here we get a picture. It's a contrast to the religious leaders. We get a woman who loves Jesus with all her heart. And she serves as a model to us of what it looks like to truly worship Christ. And so she will show us three things. That true worship is excessive, true worship is encouraged, and true worship is exclusive. True worship is excessive, encouraged, and exclusive. Exclusive, excuse me. First, true worship is excessive. Look at verse 3 with me, if you would. Verse 3 says, And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, and as he was reclining at table... A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. So there are a lot of details to fill in on this story. First off, uh, if you notice, it says that they were in Bethany, and we have a map up here. Bethany was located about two miles outside of Jerusalem. As you can imagine, when a city goes from 25,000 to 150,000, there's not room for everyone to stay in Bethany. And so Jesus would, uh, sorry, stay in Jerusalem. So Jesus would often stay in Bethany at his friend's house. It's kind of like, you know, if you ever have friends or family come in from out of town for a Packer game, right? And they want to stay at your house because it's just packed out, all the hotels and things like that. And so they would, Jesus would come to Jerusalem and he would stay at Bethany. 
and he would stay with a guy named Simon, uh, who's called Simon the leper. Uh, Really, it's probably Simon the former leper. Uh, He's probably no longer a leper, because if he was a leper, which was a horrible skin disease, he would not be having a feast in his house. No one would be coming over for dinner because no one wanted to catch leprosy. And so Simon presumably was a guy who has been healed by Jesus of his leprosy. There's also very other very important uh, people here at this dinner feast. And those other important people are, are Simon's three children. Uh, the first, which is the, the most, maybe the biggest celebrity outside of Jesus, is a man named Lazarus. Uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that Lazarus died, and then Jesus came and rose Lazarus from the dead. And so Lazarus was a walking, talking billboard proclaiming the power of Jesus over death. And so, honestly, a lot of the uh, leaders wanted to kill Lazarus too because he was evidence of how great Jesus was. So that's Lazarus. The other person, which is Lazarus' other two sisters, but is Martha. Uh, if you remember, again, the stories of Jesus, Martha and Mary are, are in a house, and Jesus comes and visits and teaches, and Martha is busy serving everybody, right? And she's upset because Mary isn't helping her. And Jesus says, hey, Martha, sit down, listen, you know, enjoy me while I am here. And, and we see this really transforms Martha's life. Uh, in fact, when her brother, Lazarus, dies, uh, Martha goes out to meet Jesus, and she says to him, She says in this great declaration of faith, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She says, I know you can raise him from the dead. It's amazing throughout the Gospels how women are these great examples of faith in Christ. Jesus goes on and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then she makes this great, amazing proclamation. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And so in the house of Simon the leper, we have Simon who's healed. We have Lazarus, who Jesus rose from the dead. We have Martha, who has learned to put her trust in Christ. And then the final one that is important for our story is Mary. And Mary is the sister of those other two, daughter of Simon the leper, And the thing that characterizes Mary throughout the New Testament is that Mary is infatuated with Jesus. Uh, She is the one who, when Jesus comes, she just sits at his feet, looks up to him with big eyes and listens and hangs on every word Jesus has to say. And in this passage, we know this from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, which is a parallel account of this story. She is the one who perfumes Jesus' head and feet. So let's look back with that context. Let's look back at verse three. It says, and while Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman who again, we know is Mary from the gospel of John came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. If you know the difference between the different Gospels, Mark does not give a lot of details, but he does in this instance. He says, listen, what she gave up, this pure nard, it was very costly. How costly, you may ask? Well, we know from later in this passage that it was worth 300 denarii. One denarii was one day's wage. 
So 300 denarii was about a year's wage. When you take away the Sabbaths and the, and the holy days, about a year's wage was the cost of this perfume. And so the, 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 um, the average income in Wisconsin is around $50,000. So in our day, this would be like a $50,000 uh, jar of cologne or a $50,000 jar of, of perfume. And I don't know if that even exists in our world today, even amongst the richest people in the world, but that's how valuable this perfume was. And it was about a pound of perfume. So it was quite a bit, um, which means she could have just dabbed it on Jesus, right? Like she, a little dab will do you. Dab him on the head, dab him on the feet, dab him on the shoulder, right? That would be more than enough. I don't know, have you ever been around someone who wears too much cologne and you're just like, whoa, when they walk into the room? This is very strange to say, but Jesus was probably the best smelling person to ever die on a cross. Very weird to say. But he was drenched in this perfume. And we know that what she did was excessive by the response of those who were there. Look at verse four. It says, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Those who shamed this woman were fine with a moderate worship of Jesus. But the excessiveness of her worship was very disturbing to them. They considered this a waste, they said. It's a waste of money because they didn't really think Jesus was worth it this much indulgence. I mentioned this last week, but uh, went to a concert a few weeks ago, uh, and the artist I really appreciate named Ben Fuller, he was sharing some of his story. He grew up in Maine, which is, I think, 2% Christian or lower, and so he didn't grow up in a Christian family. He didn't grow up around other Christians, just uh, really was not exposed to it much. Uh, he grew up with some very self-destructive habits in his life. He drank too much. He was using drugs. He was doing other things that were very self-destructive, but he was a very good singer. And so he decided to move Nashville to pursue a country music uh, career. When he arrived in Nashville, his friends invited him to church, and he went to church and very quickly uh, came to recognize the glory of God uh, the, the, the horror of his own sin, and he repented of his sin and trusted in Christ and received the love of God in Christ and was completely transformed by it. And because his music was so associated with a horrible lifestyle, he felt like God was calling him to abandon all other music and simply sing to Jesus, to sing the good news of the gospel. And so he ended up going back home to Maine a little bit uh, you know, intimidated to go and tell his parents what had happened. But he goes back and he, he tells them, he says, he says, I gave my life to Jesus. I came to faith in Christ. I am now a Christian. Oh, one more thing. All of my songs from now on are going to be about Jesus. And his dad's response was, do all the songs have to be about Jesus? And he's like, yes, all the songs are going to be about Jesus. I don't know the whole story, but I'm guessing his dad would have been okay if he had a moderate worship of Jesus. Maybe if Jesus just cleaned up his son's life a little bit, got him to stop drinking and doing drugs and things like that and made him a better person. But what he was uncomfortable with was this excessive worship of Jesus, that he wanted to surrender everything to sing praises of Jesus forever. Friends, the world is fine 
if you want to worship Jesus in moderation. It doesn't creep them out. It doesn't scare them. But Jesus praises this woman for her excessive worship. And, and if you notice in the, in the main point, the word excessive is in quotes. And the reason why it's in quotes is because it is excessive in the eyes of the world, but it is accurate in the eyes of God. Worship can never be excessive in the eyes of God, even though it may be excessive in the eyes of the world. You know, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is 1 Peter 2.9, uh, and I like it in the King James Version because of some of the language it uses. But it says this, it says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And here's my favorite part. A peculiar people that ye should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I've thought about doing this many times, but I have failed to do it. As I want to put above our door at home as you walk out, you are a peculiar people. We are a peculiar people. Christians are weird to the world. And the reason why we're weird is because we do not follow the ways of the world, but we worship Jesus and we follow the ways of Jesus. And so we will be different. We will be strange. We will be peculiar to those who are around us. And one reason is because we come to worship Jesus excessively. This means if you are here today and you are Christian and your worship of Jesus makes sense to unbelievers, there might be something wrong with your worship. We are called to be a peculiar people who worship Jesus excessively. Let me ask, how might Jesus be calling you to worship him excessively? in a way that would seem wasteful to those around you. For this woman, it was giving up all of her perfume as an act of worship. For Ben Fuller, it was giving up all of his godless music to sing praises about Jesus. For a friend I met this past week, it was to give up his Twitter account because it was leading him down roads he did not want to go. What might it be for you? What might be that excessive act of worship that God is calling you to do? Maybe you're here today and you struggle with drugs or alcohol. Maybe it would be taking the thousands of dollars you've invested in putting it down the drain. Maybe it would be looking at next month's paycheck and saying, you know what, I'm going to donate this to the homeless or to ministry. Maybe it's surrendering all of your Sundays to the Lord saying it's not about me, it's about God, and I'm going to worship the Lord and be faithful to do that every Sunday. People will call you extreme if you do that. They might even call you a legalist. Maybe it would be leaving the comforts of your home to share the love of Jesus with your neighbor or your coworker or maybe even someone on the other side of the world. True worship of Jesus is excessive in the eyes of the world, but it is never excessive in the eyes of the Lord. So first, true worship is excessive. Secondly, true worship is encouraged. These other people rebuke this woman, but look how Jesus responds. Verse six, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? I love it. Jesus is standing up, protecting this woman, guarding her. He says, she has done a beautiful or a worthy thing 
to me. Let me pause here for a second. So imagine if after the sermon, before the Lord's Supper, uh, the elders brought before me a $50,000 Rolex watch, okay? And they gave me this $50,000 Rolex watch to just tell me how awesome I am, okay? And, and you're sitting there in the seat. What is going through your head? You're thinking, this is wrong. This is bad. This is not how a church should be spending its money, right? We could take that money and we could feed the poor, which is true, right? Now imagine if they give me this Rolex watch and people start throwing a stank, right? As, as they should. But they start, they start throwing a stank and I say, whoa, 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 settle down. Settle, hey, settle down, settle down. I'm totally worth it. Like I am, I am, I am great. I'm awesome. I'm totally worth this watch, right? Like, just back off, right? That's what Jesus is doing. Now, what's the difference between Jesus and Pastor Dan? A lot. There's a lot. But why is this okay for Jesus, but not for Pastor Dan? Well, we're told in verse 7, look there with me. For you always have the poor with you. Whenever you want, you can do good for them. Jesus loved the poor. You remember he told the rich young ruler, you lack one thing, go sell everything you have, get to the poor, and you all treasure it. Jesus loved the poor. Make no mistake. He continues, he says, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Burial. Here is why this extravagant gift for Jesus is so appropriate when it would not be for any other person. It is because Jesus is God in the flesh, and he has come to the climax of his purpose, which is to be the atonement for sin, for the salvation and the redemption of the world. The most important event in human history is about to take place, and there is no gift too big to celebrate what is about to happen. And whether this woman knows it or not, the Father above, God the Father, uses this woman, her expression of worship, to anoint her son for burial. So that like the other thieves on the cross, he wouldn't just be thrown on a trash heap to rot and to smell, but that he would be given the dignity of being anointed for burial. Verse 9 continues. It says, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Two big things here. First off, notice Jesus says the gospel is going to be proclaimed in the whole world. That's a pretty audacious claim for a Jewish carpenter who only ministered for three years in the Middle East, right? And yet that prophecy slash promise is being fulfilled today in this very sanctuary as we proclaim the good news of the gospel. The second thing is that Jesus promises this woman extravagant excessive act of worship to be told wherever the gospel is proclaimed. Again, this prophecy is being fulfilled. This doesn't happen often. This is kind of cool. This prophecy is being fulfilled in this sanctuary right now at this moment as we talk about this woman's act of worship. J.C. Ryle says on this verse, he says, many mighty acts of many mighty kings have been forgotten as if they were written in the sand. And yet this woman's one single act of devotion to Jesus will be remembered for all time. Now the question is why? Why does Jesus want this woman's single act of devotion to be shared for all times, wherever the gospel is proclaimed? 
And it's because this woman's act of worship is not to be merely admired and applauded. It is to be duplicated and replicated by all the followers of Christ. While your extravagant worship of Jesus may be scolded or scoffed at or even receive indignation from others, it is pleasing in the sight of the one who matters most. And Jesus encourages us to follow her example. And so can I ask you, again, if you're here today and you consider yourself a Christian, is your worship absurd to your unbelieving friends and family members? If, if they know how you spend your time and where you focus your heart and what you sing about and where you spend your money and what you do with your life and how you serve others, would it be absurd to them? If it would be, Jesus says, leave her alone. Back off. She has done a beautiful thing to me. So true worship is excessive in the eyes of the world. True worship is also uh, encouraged by Jesus himself. Finally, we see true worship is exclusive. I don't know if you noticed this, but in our talking about worship, uh, we have talked about singing very little. I mean, it was in the opening video, but, but worship is not just singing. Uh, singing is a part of worship, but worship is far bigger than that. Matter of fact, one of my pet peeves is when, and, and I won't rebuke you publicly, I promise, but, but during the the, the worship service when people say, oh, I love the worship part and the sermon part. And it's like, okay, by worship, I know you're talking about music, but it's the music part of worship and it's the fellowship part of worship and it's the preaching part of worship and it's the communion part of worship. All of it is worship. And not only is all of our service corporate worship, but when we go out into the world, all of our life is worship as well. And so worship includes singing, but it is so much more than singing. If you've been here for a while, you've probably heard me say this before, but we worship every second of every day. We were created to worship. Whether you are a Christian or not, you cannot not worship any more than your heart cannot not pump blood throughout your veins. It's just something we do. That's what our soul does. Our soul worships. And so the question is not if you will worship, but what you will worship every second of every day. And the reason why I point this out is because this woman is not the only one worshiping in this passage. You see, the Pharisees and the scribes, they are worshiping power and authority and control. The woman is worshiping Jesus. But then there is one of his 12, an insider, who has seen all the works of Jesus and yet chooses to worship another. Look with me in verse 10. It says, Then Judas Iscariot, who is one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray Jesus. John chapter 12 actually includes more details that I think are really helpful for us understanding this point. And so you can follow along on the screen. Again, this is the same story. John just includes different details in Mark. It says, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. You see, what Judas worshipped 
was exposed. Judas worshipped money, and so this woman's extravagant worship made him indignant. And he went to go seek money elsewhere, and it led him to betray Jesus. You see, true worship is always the worship of God. Therefore, false worship is always a betrayal of God. And when we recognize this, it should grieve our souls. I I hate to confess it, but my heart is an idol factory. I am constantly worshiping things other than Jesus, and it grieves me when I realize it. I I worship good weather. I worship summer. I worship grass. I worship uh, a a healthy bank account. I worship success. I worship reputation. I worship many things other than Jesus many times. And you see, we worship what is most worth to us. The word worship comes from worth-ship, which is what we ascribe worth to. Two, you worship whatever you are centering your life around. That is what we worship. Sadly, we are more like Judas than we would want to admit. Sadly, we often betray Jesus to worship created things instead of the creator himself. But there is one big distinction between Judas and the other apostles who also We're susceptible to false worship. There is one big difference between Judas and true Christians today. And that one difference is forgiveness. And forgiveness is giving to those who have falsely worshiped other things, who have repented, who have said, forgive me, Jesus, for chasing after the things of this world and worshiping them and betraying you in the midst of it. And what's amazing is Jesus is ready to receive us time and time again to fellowship with us and to receive our worship as we were created to do. The Lord God is jealous for you. He will not share his glory with another. He will not share your worship with another. He calls us to worship him and him alone exclusively. Let me end with this. When Trish and I were dating. I lived in Columbia, Missouri, and she lived in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And uh, it's about 500 miles away between the two. And we had this goal of trying to see each other about once a month. And sometimes that was hard to do, but, but we tried to make sure it happened. And I remember uh, there were many times where I had obligations in Columbia, Missouri, and I would leave at 10 o'clock at night. And I would start driving uh, my kids don't listen to this. Don't do this, okay? But I would, I would leave at 10 p.m., and I would drive through the night with sunflower seeds and coffee. And I would arrive in Eau Claire at 7 a.m., and she would wake up, and we would have breakfast together, and we'd enjoy our time together. And then just like a day later, I would do the same thing and drive back. And I look back at it, and I'm like, that is stupid. <laughs> it's crazy, right? But here's the thing, love. Love makes us do crazy things. Milan Kundera, a famous Czech novelist, says, love is either crazy or it is nothing at all. Sigmund Freud, who certainly was not a Christian, I don't think he said, one is very crazy when in love. Friends, love makes us do crazy things. The love of power made the religious leaders plot to kill Jesus. The love of money led led Judas to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. 
The love of Jesus made Mary break open this ointment that was worth a year's wage and pour it on Jesus. But most wonderfully of all, God's love for you made God do something extremely crazy. See, God loves you so much that this crazy, amazing plan, he decided to send his beloved son into the world to pursue people who were worshiping other gods. He loves you so much that he sent his son to the cross to take on your idolatry, my idolatry, upon himself to pay for it in full and then to rise again on the third day that we could once again be reunited and worship the one we were created to worship, which is the Lord God. And what is so amazing about this is that maybe you don't think you are worth that type of love from God, right? Maybe others don't think you're worth that type of love for God. But God disagrees. God's love is so crazy that he sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. And some way, somehow, and this is beyond comprehension, he says, you are totally worth it. You are totally worth it. God loves you, not in part, but in full. And he calls you to do the same by worshiping him every second of every day. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for your crazy love that you would sacrifice so much for rebel people to win us back to yourself that you might just pour more of your love out upon us. Lord God, may we respond with joy and gladness and worship, not only on Sunday mornings, but also Sunday afternoons, Sunday evening, and throughout the rest of the week. May we worship you extravagantly, excessively, because of your excessive love for us in Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.